We recently hosted a series of lectures here at Reality SF. The purpose of these lectures are to lead us deeper into discipleship with and to Jesus. These lectures are for the purpose of wisdom of how to engage and interact with our world for our formation in becoming more like Jesus. We desire to engage with these particular conversations as a discipleship conversation of how to instill wisdom, and we need wisdom to engage. You're about to hear a conversation on feminism and the female body. Myself, David Bennett, and David Lomas will throw to segments from the lecture, but also expand on things we could have said if we had more time. This lecture series and these conversations are not debates and are not about us causing confusion. The goal is wisdom, because you and I both need wisdom to engage in these types of conversations. So it's important for us to gather and talk about the world and water that we find ourselves in. So we ask the question, how did we get here? So, like I said, I'm gonna start in the 1960s. This is the height of the sexual revolution in US history, and this term liberal feminism, or also known as second wave feminism, began from the sexual revolution movement. And liberal feminism stems from the intellect train of thought called liberalism. So now, liberalism is one that is steeped into political tradition or political philosophy and ideology. And liberalism promotes and supports the ideas of free market and choice morally and politically and took this framework and loosely and unapologetically tied it to the rights of women. So this is saying that it took something political in very large swoops and applied it to something that was for women in that movement. So this is how post-sexual revolution, the liberal feminism movement heard sentiments like a woman's right to choose or campaigns around consent. And this narrative heavily focuses on freedom of choice as the things definitive of personhood. However, within liberalism, the liberal or person is seen as a sexless individual, meaning there is no difference between man or woman in this ideological framework, right? These sentiments over the last five decades, 50 years, have turned into a loose constructed ideology that states everything and anything goes as long as you choose or consent to it at the time. So this is where we first see glimpses of a cracked foundation. Right, we see cracks when we discover that liberal feminism's focus is too narrow when it solely focuses based on choices and its incapacity to discuss deep differences between women and men. I'm gonna repeat that again. It says the cracks when we discover that liberal feminism's focus is too narrow when it is solely based on choice and its incapacity to discuss deep differences between women and men. So liberalism leads individuals to believe that the person or the liberal is seen as a sexless individual, meaning their sexuality is also seen as sexless, meaning men and women are not bound by their bodies. So when we are in this view, we are able to live actually outside the limits of our men and women bodies. 
Even further, in some feminist beliefs, the degree of denial of human sexuality stretches even to telling us that biology itself is a myth or a construct. We actually have to be willing, as Christians I would also say, to go further and discover that the liberal feminism narrative also has a deep, dark shortcoming. There's a deep weakness that's under there. And we also have to be willing to go there to ask the questions to discover what is there. So this underbelly is that while the sexual liberalism or feminism of a woman's right to choose or consent might seem on the surface wonderful and like true freedom, but this concept misses out on the sentiment that people can be pressured, and I would say by peers or partners or wider cultural forces, into believing that the thing that the one sorry, that they want the thing which later they come to recognize is bad for them. So this underbelly is actually the pressure, that pressure we're talking about from the peers or partners or even wider cultural forces. And this underbelly is the failure to reckon with the deeper questions that this brings up. So some of these cultural forces include a cultural context in the Western world that is dominated by male sexuality. To this, the underbelly tries to hide the obvious interest in convincing or pressuring women to have sex like men do. And many women go along with this until later they come to regret it. This also has roots in the othering, meaning it pits men against women and vice versa. There are even pressures from narratives in liberal feminism that are steeped in a fear of limits upon their, quote, personal freedom. And when this is combined with capitalism, it begins to construct a world or society and culture that leads us to begin to believe that our healthy bodies are actually obstacles to freedom. This might be in sentiments like, don't like your breasts, buy new ones, or cut them off altogether. This underbelly reveals the truth that while the sexual revolution has freed some of us, it has not freed all of us, and selectively at a price. Louise Perry, she's an author, writer, and campaigner against male sexual violence, wrote a phenomenal book called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, A New Guide to Sex in the 21st Century. She is a secular, non-Christian writer. She calls herself a post-progressive, meaning she's someone who has gone to the limits of progressivism in this liberal feminism movement. And she is even saying there is something wrong with this narrative around female sexuality. She's worked in abortion clinics and she's worked as an advocate for women and men against sexual violence. And she's someone who doesn't even believe actually in a Christian created order. Yet she is saying there is something wrong and something is not working. And she's saying the things that no one seems to want to say. She's asking the questions that no one wants to ask. And we're not saying it, but she is. And there's something that we can learn from this as she sums up this underbelly perfectly in a quote. She says, with the right tools, freedom from the constraints imposed by the female body now become increasingly possible. Don't want to have children in your 20s or 30s? Freeze your eggs. Called away on a work trip postpartum? FedEx your breast milk to your newborn. 
want to continue working full-time without interruption, employ a live-in nanny, or better yet, a surrogate who can bear the child for you. And now, with the availability of sex reassignment medical technologies, even stepping out of your female body altogether has become an option. Liberal feminism promises women freedom, and when that promise comes up against the hard limits imposed by biology, then the ideology directs women to chip away at those limits through the use of money, technology, and the bodies of poorer people. So, <laughs> we do not even have to go into uh, more time to the disproportionate effect for the privileged at the cost of those non-white majority women or anyone in the LGBTQ communities. This disenchantment makes us believe that sex means nothing. Wow, I, I remember being there and feeling the room when okay. you're just going into all this stuff. Yeah. And what I loved about these lectures were, we were, I mean, we were able to go there. We, we went to some places that, you know, we don't typically go. This is why there were lectures. This is why they were like, you know, RSVP and be in a room and hear the, hear the ground rules. And, um, but what I just, how, how did you feel <laughs> like coming off the stage or breaking everybody up in, into groups or, like, what, what was your reaction even listening back to that? What was yeah, your... I mean, well, first of all, I think even talking on these particular topics, just of feminism and the female body, because I am a woman that also are steeped into cultures that have all these different, like, preconceived notions. And even this, so I was talking to you guys where I feel like sometimes when I'm up there, it's, it's like a, such a tension that I hold where you're like, I want to move this conversation forward. This is amazing. I'm so passionate about it. I feel so supported by the church community. But then there's one side that's like, yes, we're so happy that like females are up there speaking about this. And then there's all these other people that are like, well, why aren't the men up here speaking about this? And is so, that really? Yes. And I'm just like, this is such an interesting tension that I, I'm often in. And I think even as a pastor of a church, a female pastor of a church has so many other like weird nuances in there that I, I really wanted to touch on these topics. I think particularly the liberal feminism one, because I'm like, man, this as a, a woman in San Francisco, a single woman who's in her forties that has a lot of life to live still, but also is swept up into this tide of things that sometimes we don't even know that we're swept up into it, yeah. where it's all about choice and consent. And it's like what I want to do with my body, what I want to do with my time and my money and my finances, all these things about all these other things to untangle. It can get this like chaotic web that I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to name the water that we're swimming in. I want to name mm -hmm. what it's what it's like to be someone who truly wants to follow Christ, but you have to kind of know where you're coming from. So I was like, I have to I have to start somewhere. And so the easiest thing for me was to start in the 1960s. I couldn't I could have gone from all of, you know, since the time of the Bible, but that was later that was later in the evening. So I wanted to start there. And then for me, it was really important to swing to the other pendulum, which was the purity culture to talk about just how different the two reactions were and how I just think even in my own story, there's people in our church that we talk about this all the time that affect relationships in general when it has to come to purity culture, it has to come with 
how we interact with ourselves as like females and our own bodies, as well as like body image and all that other stuff, as well as how we relate to other people, fellow females, and also the opposite sex and like just a mess. So I I didn't want to cause confusion, but I just kind of wanted to like do a little shaking. And like you said, Dave, you're like, I just want you to check your bias. We're not trying to say anything here. We just want you to shake it a little bit and then check your bias so yeah during the yeah. conversation afterwards after your yeah. lecture when we were all rapping about like your content yeah and that was really fun to do i was like as a pastor here you imbibe so much of the culture that you're in yep. so i think you have to check your bias like if you live in the deep south you live in texas yep. you have to check your bias mm. our bias here l- leans towards uh liberal progressivism Mm -hmm. yes on the on a crazy level obviously Mm -hmm. people if anyone's listening to the south side of san francisco they'll be like yeah i can see that Mm -hmm. and what we're trying to do is to get people to check their bias so when you get here you become a liberal feminist by default yes almost by default just Mm. like this is the water you imbibe it you drink it in yep and you're like you're all you're like all for female rights you're like I don't even know what this means, but I'm mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Some people think deeply, but yes. most people are like, I'm for it. Yes, this, yeah. this. And who, what, what are we mad at? Yeah, we're all yeah. mad at that. <laughs> yeah. And until you do the research yep. and the book that you quoted from, mm-hmm. The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, uh, Louise Perry, who's not a Christian, mm-hmm. um, but a post-liberal. Yeah, post-progressive. Like a, oh, sorry, post-progressive yeah. that took progressivism <laughs> to its limits and yep. like it doesn't work. Yep. And she says things that I don't think we are we feel like almost like david what you said from our last episode i'm like oh i'm glad she's saying that because yeah. i'm not allowed to say yeah. that like what you know what liberal feminism who it benefits the most yeah are men yes think about that who it benefits the most what does it benefit the most like that you that the female body is like all the capacity of the female body gets shut down mm-hmm. for the purposes of sex almost any time with no repercussions, who does that benefit the most? Mm-hmm. Liberal feminists are supposed to say the women, but as Louise Perry says, no, do the research, men. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it benefits men the most. Mm-hmm. And so I think the reaction that we got after your lecture that I was getting from women, like, okay, liberal feminism has failed us. Yeah. And the purity culture, purity culture itself has failed us. Mm. What is... The third way. What is the way yeah. forward? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would say that is the way of Jesus, the story of Jesus. I talked a lot, or we talked a lot about in our panel, just how Jesus relativizes and vindicates women just mm-hmm. from the very early story. And also that the like, if we read scripture, the engine of the story is how Jesus interacts with women and honors women in that. And I'm like, that is the way. That's the stuff that I want to talk about mm-hmm. and inspire women to do. And yes, you have to be aware of like the water you swim in. And like you said, check your bias. And not that it's the like, <laughs> yeah, you, it's so ingrained that sometimes I think it's so scary to think, yes, I'm all for women. Why wouldn't I be for women? Jesus is for women. Yes, but they are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're yeah. for women. Like we that's are the thing. for women. Yes. One hundred percent. And then and, to lump yeah. that into liberal feminism yes. is a whole different it's thing. Which is what thing. you were trying to like bifurcate. Like, yes. you know, let's separate this thing, like the yeah. cream from the milk. Like <laughs> you we can be for women. Yep. We can be for their progress. We could be for yes. their uh, male and female relationships together yes. and and against the suppression yeah. of women, mm-hmm. but we don't have to become then liberal feminists. Yes. We can become a kind of 
um, like re-enchanted, you know, mm-hmm. sort yeah. of like w- our bodies are re-enchanted, male and female yes. yeah. relationships mm-hmm. get yeah. re-enchanted. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I mean by that is like, there is something really beautiful, transcendent and unique about the female body. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's yeah. so placed there by God. Yes. And there's yeah. something really beautiful, unique and transcendent about the male body. Yep. Mm-hmm. And to flatten those would be wrong. Yes. And yeah. to make them the same would be wrong. Yep. Mm-hmm. So then how do we, yeah. how do we move forward? I think that's the tension. That's where the question is, is like as a woman, me <laughs> speaking about myself and my, the female body and myself, like discovering what is it? that God has created me to do in my female body? What is it that I want to do and reflect in my relationships and the way that I live my life and all those things? So it goes into me, part of it was starting with like the way of Jesus and how he vindicated and relativized women. And for me, a lot of it was like, how do I model? I had to start somewhere because sometimes I'm like, I don't even know where to start And by relativize, you mean he doesn't, absolutize one sex over the other yeah he doesn't make males more important or females less than and Mm -hmm. it's yeah nor does he make women uh the height no male Mm -hmm. subservient yeah there is this there's something about you know when you get to the end in christ there is no male female jew greek slave free and people usually in my camp um that i the water that i swim in Mm -hmm. in my theological background they usually say, well, that, that verse only has to do with salvation. And it's true to an extent, but it's also not just about salvation, mm. but the implications of okay. salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing that's kind of missing. Yes, yes, it is. The context is salvation and about the implications of it, mm-hmm. implications of resurrection, implications of new life, implications of getting back to our true vocations. Yeah. It doesn't flatten everything. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, because Paul doesn't even flatten everything later on. He he actually addresses all those people and how do you then live in your calling? Mm-hmm. But it does it does bring this like, um, it does bring this difference and this beauty. This like mm-hmm. re you know, again getting back to the enchantment thing, <laughs> yeah. like re invigorating them with like creation created purpose mm-hmm. meaning. I think. Yeah, I think even throughout these all these lectures, there are different themes that you're like, even for me, it's like uncoupling them from things that have been really damaging, right? So there's things in the church or the purity culture things that have been really damaging. And for me, it's like re-enchanting like what it is about the female body that God created it to do. We, ha- we had so many questions like this. And you're like, well... Once I start naming things and listing things, it loses its like enchantment and mystery in a sense. And then I also think there's been the personal responsibility to start discovering that vocation of female and males together, mm-hmm. like in the way God intended in relationship. And I think it's really hard to uncouple some of that stuff. So you start with like sexuality, you can start in kind of a number of, of webbed, you know, conversations that get, can get you really confused. And so mm. for me, it was like, okay, if I know that it's not liberal feminism, right. Mm. And it's not purity culture. So the way of Jesus that I see it is like, as a female, how did God create me? So my journey of discipleship mm-hmm. to Jesus is like, how did he create me? What is it that the world is telling me that I'm actually not? Mm-hmm. And what is it that Jesus is telling me about my identity and how I'm going to mm-hmm. live that vocation out? Yeah. And yeah, I, I want to throw to you right now, David, yeah. because I'm going to say this and you're going to go off. Because <laughs> I think we inherited through the way of Jesus a culture of subversion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Bible steeped in subversion. Yeah. The way of Jesus is so steeped in subversion to where when you read it on a surface level, you can see like, oh my gosh, that is so... 
patriarchal mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. anti-women or anti-X, yep. anti-Y, but it's subversion. Yeah. And it and the and it's subverting everything. It's literally what First Peter is about. It's like subverting mm-hmm. the whole entire system. Mm-hmm. This is eventually what Christianity did to Rome, subverted it. Exactly. And so talk a little bit about about that because I think that what Jess is getting at is this kind of like um what Jesus did when you talk Jess, when you talk about the way of Jesus, you you say I I the third way is the way of Jesus. And I think what you what I take you to mean by that is like there is a femaleness that's lived out in subversion of like even liberal feminism, subversion yes. of purity culture, subversion of all of these sort of things. There's a yeah. way to be male that's sub- subverting mm-hmm. the way the system mm-hmm. of the world, the way that we as males live into the world. Mm-hmm. There's a way that we could mm-hmm. then like Christ subvert it. So I think this is what Paul's doing even with like yeah, slavery and all of it. Yeah, yes. He's like, yeah. actually the slave is higher than the mm-hmm. master, but the slave because it's imaging Jesus. He does this all the time where he doesn't remove the categories, but he does like relativize them to who Christ is. And that mm-hmm. changes the relationship mm-hmm. and destroys the negative power relationship. Mm. So I think what's really interesting is we see in Genesis that patriarchy was an effect of the fall. It says that, mm-hmm. you know, Eve, after the fall, Eve desired the ish. doesn't even use Adam. It says the ish, the man. That's, Eve, it's a Hebrew word, not Hebrew, just like, yeah, not short ish. for yeah, anything else. The <laughs> anything ish. else, yes, anything else. And then, but the ish would rule over her. Mm. In other words, she will desire men, but men will rule over her. That is a an effect of sin and death. It's not something that God has validated as good. Mm-hmm. And the church has made the, the the mistake of saying that the fall and the effect of the fall is good mm-hmm. by saying that, you know, men rule over women. Mm-hmm. So actually what God desires is to, you know, redeem the co-imaging, the co-equality of men and women without removing the difference. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think it's so... that. Again, this is like living, I think this is how we ended the whole Electra series. Yeah. Living in the tension, the radical middle. Yes. Is so hard because yeah. you can, we kind of think of radicalization as going far right or far left, mm. but actually the radicalization is staying in the dead center, like mm-hmm. in the middle of the tension, exactly what you said mm-hmm. of like, it's not a hierarchy. It's not a patriarchy. It's like, it's like co-created to co-rule being co-equal yet there is difference mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in this difference there are uh there's there's even like giftings and well, i would say giftings roles to play the th- yep. things to live into that we're animated into mm-hmm. that we live out you know mm-hmm. callings and vocations that we live out as men and women i think first of all the whole like husbands are the head of the wife has been so abused and because yeah. of the abuse yeah. of it yeah um even when you try to reclaim it it's almost it's so hard to do. Oh like it's really okay, hard so to untangle. If, yes. Yeah. So if man is the head, as Christ is the head, then you have to act like Christ. And that's what Christ did. You, you, it's really hard for you then to still is to still remove that from. But He is the Lord. Yes. Mm. You know, and <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, well, no. you're like, is well, he? what do you do with yeah. His lordship? Yeah. Okay, this is what you do with His lordship, and yeah. then and then He gives authority to the church. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it 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 um. It relates this to husbands, not to men. So it's yeah. really important to, to make that yeah. distinction. Mm-hmm. In Ephesians five, it's to it's to um, it's to husbands, 
And um, even in the, the scripture you were quoting, it's mm-hmm. to husbands, right? The husband is the, the head. Yeah. And it wasn't like men are the head, no. the mm-hmm. husband. So you also mm-hmm. have to do some, some work there too. Yeah. It's like n- not all men are over all women. But I yes. think that like yeah. Greco-Roman patriarchal fallen view of women, that they were lesser and eunuchs were evil and mm-hmm. everyone mm-hmm. but men were strong. Everyone, sorry, but all men were strong and everyone else was kind of like this weak mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. refuse. I feel like somehow that oppressive spirit mm-hmm. has tried to like cling on to those scriptures and i feel like there is a deliverance we need as a church from that mm-hmm. oppressive mm-hmm. spirit but also from the spirit that's just saying there is no physical or any difference yeah. between male and female get rid of sex difference erase sex oh, difference yeah. like mm-hmm. queer queer mm-hmm. theology says that queer queer is the end of sexual difference and i'm like no there it Jesus rose bodily from the dead with Mm -hmm. a sexually differentiated body. But what happens in the resurrection is that sexually differentiated body is wrapped around a totally different new reality Mm -hmm. that where I Mm -hmm. think we don't even understand. And that's why I think we see Mary Magdalene, you know, as the one who announces the resurrection to the male apostles, Mm -hmm. as we're seeing like a kind of a glimpse into what new creation looks like, where that co-equality has been, finally restored and not just restored but like infused and completed and that's again subversion <laughs> yeah subversion. <laughs> like yeah. jesus sends yeah mary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be sent is to be an apostle an apostle <laughs> sent one. oh we're getting in there now <laughs> so again subversion <laughs> subversion so, is the key <laughs> so husbands get back to husbands husbands are Mm. What what Paul does is like they're the head, they're like Christ in in a marriage, and then the assumption there is that you would act like Christ, but what also what Christ does is give authority to the church. Mm-hmm. So then, mm-hmm. then again, that's subversion. So what does Jesus do? He dies and gives away power and authority to the church and empowers the church, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. all like. Again, and then the church at... throws the crown back at Jesus's feet, but then yeah. Jesus gives the crown to the Father. So mm. there's this kind of constant cycle of glory mm. that I think right? the yeah. two sexes mm-hmm. are meant to kind of image. And then you have eunuchs in the middle who are like, "Remember, your sex is not ultimate," and then queer people over here, and like, don't make it into some like thing that you worship, Baal and Asherah or something. <laughs> like this is pointing to God mm-hmm. and the transcendent. Mm-hmm. the third way just the third way what is it <laughs> it's yeah exactly. subversion subversion <laughs> honestly it is i think that's why it's sometimes too people will ask just very practical questions too like how do i do that when i experience like hurt from this when i know you know to me i'm like follow the way of jesus learn that it's uh, it's our discipleship to learn the way of jesus but when we experience things of the world that are not like uh, correct or are ones that are like um for an example would be like i'm looking down on you as a woman pastor and i'm just kind of like what is the way of jesus and honestly david is subversive you're like the way of jesus would be to serve and to be like i forgive you to reconcile and to be like okay uh, that's your thought but also no (laughs) and i give power away. and i give power away and i was like that's not gonna happen here you know and so it is a it is a often very tense place to live but also one that you're like you have to you have to be have intimacy with christ to do it joyfully too and and i think that sarah coakley who's 
probably my favorite systematic theologian. She she talks about how in church history we've made the dyad of the Father and the Son ultimate over the Spirit. Mm. And what this has done is destroyed female participation in the church mm. because God isn't gender neutral. God isn't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a gender. God isn't any label we can generate. Mm-hmm. God is beyond label, beyond gender. One could even say is so gendered that you can't give him a gender. Mm-hmm. And yet we need to use personal mm-hmm. pronouns to describe yes. God. And yet mm-hmm. there is this male, this kind of masculine metaphor for mm-hmm. father and son. But the spirit is described in scripture as it, mm-hmm. in Romans, in John, he, in the Old Testament, fem- like feminine ruach. Mm-hmm. It says that, you know, the spirit seized David and the word is f- like a f- feminine verb. Mm-hmm. to seize so we see that like god frustrates any literalistic gender program mm-hmm. in the trinity so that it is only ever a personal metaphor it's never literally a dude in the sky with his son that he punishes mm-hmm. and there's no spirit you know like yes. i think if we go deeper into the mm-hmm. trinity we'll find out why male and female i think the trinity is actually the key mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think that's been abused too because there hasn't yeah. been this robustness of the spirit and that's why they think the charismatic movement with all of its problems like so good on this yeah. of bringing the spirit back and letting the spirit frustrate mm-hmm. our literal gender program yeah it's that frustration and tension yeah. you're like, gosh and we talked yeah. a little bit about this yeah in our um lecture mm-hmm. with one of the questions on mm-hmm. male female dynamics so mm-hmm. we'll uh, we'll throw to this clip what we're trying to do is create conversation around this topic so where we can actually start changing the narrative in the church like okay so that didn't work and that didn't work how do we be friends how does to answer what i was going to say in the last question was the female body how is it still uh like a thing of feminine and femininity without it being tied to all the toxic um, ideas of what femininity is and even some of the tropes and that it is, but what it is in its essence that's really, really beautiful in every female. And then what are some masculine things that are genuinely masculine that also is removed from the toxic stuff? And then how do we be that? I think this, this is what's going on in 1 Corinthians when Paul says women have to wear head coverings and men um, uh, don't and not to have long hair. And we read that and think, oh my gosh, like that's so oppressive. But I think what Paul was getting at was, in that culture was, um, women, I want you to prophesy and I want you to lead in the church, but I want you to do it as females, not as males. And men, I want you to lead in the church, but I want you to do it as males, not as females. And I think it's like, and I try to say this when I'm mentoring teachers and and that teacher uh, uh, at church. What, I want them to to teach like them. Like I want, oh, I gotta tell Jess. Jess, I want you to teach like you. I want you to bring um, your 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 femaleness, your femininity, your experience, your, all of your story of who you are into the pulpit. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to be me. Don't try to be your favorite teacher. Be yourself, fully you. And this, I think, what First Corinthians is talking about. Don't go up there and use female illustrations. I use dad you know, male husband illustrations. There, people, half the room, maybe half the room relates to that. The other half, like, 
that's cute. I guess that's funny. I don't know. I'm not a dude. I don't know. You need to come with like these illustrations that represent um, you. So I think that's kind of what it's talking about. I think we need to learn how to do that. How do we show up in these ways? And how do we be friends in this way? And view each other as sisters and brothers in this way. But I think these are conversations we have to have. Not just like us saying, this is how you do it. But it has to have conversations around it. And I do think, you know, the queer community has a really holy role to play in complicating and subverting some of the heterosexual, like the heterosexism of the church, because we are constantly a smaller group. I know in San Francisco, maybe we're not, which has actually been really nice to enjoy. (laughs) Um, For once, I'm like in the cast room, like, oh my gosh, 80%, you know, (laughs) oh, hey, you know. (laughs) Um, But like, I think there is also a contribution that the Lord has allowed there to be LGBTQI plus people in the mystery of his providence. And I, I think for me, that has like a sacred and important role as well to renew the role between men and women, um, to say that there is something more here than what you've allowed in the politics. So I, I'm passionate about seeing, you know, the LGBTQI plus community play that role whilst doing that within an obedient kind of gospel ethic. So who knows what will happen in Reality SF. That's really cool. I love that a lot. I, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to get, I mean, it's it's late for us. It's late. And if you've been listening to these three podcasts, you're in deep. Yeah. And you deserve some, you deserve some, some spicy drink. bits. Yeah. yeah let's, let's put the spice on the rice now. Let's put some spicy bits in there. Okay, so we'll start with, there's a saying that went around by a popular evangelist a generation, maybe two generations ago, and this um, evangelist said they made a a pact, Mm -hmm. and it was, don't touch the women, don't touch the money, don't touch the glory. Mm -hmm. And I think that the purity culture overreaction was to see women as Jezebel, as threats, as, as people that can destroy your quote unquote mm-hmm. ministry. Mm-hmm. And so they never, I don't think really knew how to be friends with women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They just saw them as threats and mm-hmm. they like, don't get in a car with them, an elevator. Don't be in a room with it alone. Yeah, don't be alone at all. They, yeah, they <laughs> them, will, yeah. they, what they can do to you in a, in a, lo- a room alone. Yeah. And and that was a perception. And we all know it's probably the opposite is true, right? Yeah. Um, but I think what it what it did was it portrayed women as as, as threats versus mm. how do we mm. how mm-hmm. in friendship move forward mm-hmm. and friendship pave a different way. Now there is um, now we we had this similar conversation recently mm-hmm. at a pastor's gathering, and another mm-hmm. pastor gets up and, and I, <laughs> that I'm talking to and says, "Well, my generation." And he was uh, of a generation older than us. Yep. Was never, I had never was friends with women outside mm-hmm. of my wife. Mm-hmm. And I was never alone. Uh, he did this. And I'm like, okay, so the, you don't want to like overreact where you're like, mm-hmm. yes. We're like, there is n- n- now no temptation. We're the generation that removes temptation. No, we have to be wise and yes. obviously be yes. wise, completely wise and yeah. 100%. Because mm-hmm. Satan, and his point was Satan can take this these like well-meaning things and Mm -hmm. twist them. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And to Mm -hmm. think that he can't would be naive. Mm -hmm. We're like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's a hundred percent true. And at the same time with us not allowing for 
like learning how to work together in friendship. Yeah. It also cuts off this whole other side. So we've mm-hmm. overreacted and the overreacting is a form of repression mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. just acts out in all these horrible, ungodly ways. Mm-hmm. The other side of it too is like, you don't think like, oh yeah, there's no temptation. There's nothing weird that can happen between us because it's all good. We live in the, mm-hmm. the resurrected body. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then there's, but there again, radical middle tension. Yeah. Yeah, that, gosh, I feel that that kind of misaligned, like, root of, like, women are all bad. So that's just such a disproportionate weight on women to prove to other people that they Mm. are not temptations. And that's something that I think we've had to really, I mean, I've had to do a lot of work with, even from someone coming from the purity culture, where it's like, wait, I want friends. Like, and why is it so bad that I am friends with men? And there's something I'm missing out on being friends with them. And yes, of course I love my friends that are girls, but like by not being friends with by them. not being, sorry, by not being yeah. friends with them. And I just think that, gosh, untangling that is a lot of work too. So that is something that's even just a weight that we're having to go through in the church. And yet I also see kind of the repercussions in all different kinds of relationships between men and women, yeah. dating marriages, like even, yeah, all kinds of friendships you're missing out on because of that kind of paradigm. You know, so. I think Paul says to the pure, all things are pure. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, a discipline and a maturity to check yourself. Mm. And, you know, if you're addicted to porn or you're, you know, constantly in inordinate desire, yeah, maybe it is if you're weak, as Paul would say, Yeah. then yeah, there is that, that idea that you shouldn't maybe, you know, mm-hmm you might need to deal with that first before you're having super deep relationships with the opposite sex or same sex or whatever. Mm-hmm. By the same token, no one's completely pure. Everyone's yeah. going to have fleshly desires. Like we're not raised yet. Yeah. So maturity just looks like checking yourself and having mutual accountability. And I think women and men both need that maturity. Yes. And women yes. Yeah. also have a form of immaturity that's like, I'm going to try to attract this guy, whatever it is. And yeah. men are like, yeah, she's so into me. And whatever. And they're just like ego trip between both of them. And I think the queer community is like, oh, the straights are out at it again. <laughs> Not like we're any better, but like really when we look at it. But it, it is a very repetitious pattern of this lack of maturity. Yeah. And so I just think, Jesus still had all the temptations we had. He he was mm-hmm. just as weak as us. Mm-hmm. Like we have to get that. Like he was super, he was very human. Yes. And very God. And people say, "Well, that means I don't have to live his way." I'm sorry. Jesus had friendships with women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He yeah. let women anoint his feet mm-hmm. and do very non-sexual mm-hmm. loving non-sexual, things. Very that like, would have been hard. Eros desiring. Yeah. Like, I mean, even yeah. things that today would I mean, if that happened, Today, yeah, we would reject that. Like, we would what? be like, mm, have, like this. <laughs> That's weird. We'd probably yeah. have like, We'd probably have some kind of like investigation. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think we really need to see that Jesus was very human and he had friendships with women. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, that is, I think, the base of our ethic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I also think too, again, to like the maturity thing is so important. So first of all, it starts with humility. To yeah. think that you are above. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. sexual temptation mm-hmm. or even above like um, any sort of like scandal or yeah. any sort of yeah. thing that you would fall into would be yeah. so naive and stupid and yeah. and prideful and it's it's this love of humility like I'm not above it yeah but 
again, I think that's really cool. There is a caveat of like people that are weak, then yeah, you should probably set up different safeguards. Yep. Yeah. And until that stuff is dealt with mm-hmm. through pastoral care and yeah. therapy and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. self-awareness yeah. and emotionally healthy stuff, like I'll deal with that stuff. But then to stay away forever and not to have mutual male-female mm-hmm. friendships is mm-hmm. like probably not a healthy way to live. And if you're yeah. a guy or a girl struggling with this or whatever, you're queer and struggling with this, tell the person and say, hey, I just want to let you know, like, I have wrestled with this in my past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. check me, you know. Yeah. yeah. And what I've done too, and this is, again, a bit of wisdom, like every time I go out of town alone, I'll text a friend of a friend. I'm like, I mm-hmm. want you to ask me when I get home, oh, this happened, this, ha- this happened yesterday. yesterday. I was on mm-hmm. a personal retreat, uh, yesterday and the day before. And I text a friend and I'm like, Hey, I'm going on a personal retreat. Ask me when I get back, did I look at anything I wasn't supposed to look at? Mm-hmm. Did I taste anything I wasn't supposed to taste? Did mm-hmm. I, did I touch anything I wasn't supposed to touch? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. ask me those mm-hmm. questions, like mm-hmm. ask me like, mm-hmm. and I think that kind of accountability, it's like, not, was I, was I feeling in the spirit and feeling like, like, I, yeah, I had the struggle with like, I don't need to text. Them. I'm like, I'm good. I'm like, so mm-hmm. like, that's prideful. So I'm yeah. like, yeah. no, I'm going to text him. I'm like, here I go. Mm-hmm. And he get, text me today. I haven't texted him back yet. Cause we've been on film, <laughs> yeah. you know, recording forever. Yeah. But, but, and then this is the same thing too. When you are in ministry with, uh, an, someone of the opposite sex or your same sex attracted gay and the same sex, whatever to have those external people like, Hey, yeah. I'm going to be mm-hmm. really close with this person. Ask me how it's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ask me like questions like, Hey, Am I getting too emotionally like attached mm. or codependent with this person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do I find this person attractive? Because what happens, mm-hmm. and this is true, what happens in like um, relationships that that get deeply spiritual, mm-hmm. you get connected on a level that you can mistake for sexual yeah. attraction, and yes. it's more of a spiritual yeah. connection. Yeah, and you can get even attracted or aroused, and not not know that this is not sexual arousal, but we don't have any mm-hmm. other like channel because we haven't been formed that way. We don't have any way to channel it, but sexual arousal. Yeah. Ar- arousal. And so we, we only channel it that way versus yeah. like, this is like a connection of soul to a level that it's just so beautiful. And I'm not, and I'm, I'm going to channel this towards a healthy redeemed eros, a deep Absolutely. desire for connectedness in Christ mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the best for this other person mm-hmm. and not confuse this with sexual. So, I think this is really important. Again, this yeah. takes mm. discipline and knowing to yeah. channel yeah. desire. And it takes transparency. I think for me, you know, I've had my own failures in this area. We, I think we all have, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise, you know, scripture says, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. Mm-hmm. And yet we've said, don't have any sin. <laughs> so we've like forced the church into a place where it's like, I don't have any sin. I'm fine. Everything's good. Look at my wonderful ministry. <laughs> and But people are secretly sinning all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And like we know we all are. Yeah. And like let's just stop it. Let's just say, yeah, I, I, I masturbated, I watched some porn, you know, it was bad, I sinned, I repented before God. And obviously there's some confidentiality and you do that with people that are safe. But like just face it and move on. I remember this one time I was in when I was in Strasbourg, France, I was really struggling with pornography and I went to my mentor's place. She was a, you know, celibate woman mm-hmm. who'd, you know, I'm sure she'd had her own wrestles, I don't know. But um, I said, yeah, I'm just so sick of this part of me that mm-hmm. comes up, you know, once in a while that's just like so hypersexual and I don't know what to do in the midst of it. And then I end up, you know, watching porn or masturbating. Like, what do I do? And she was like, get over it. You're, you're repentant. Mm. Like, that's the point. Like, move on. Like, 
you you're wallowing in this mm-hmm. and it's giving it power and then men are wallowing in their like incapacity sometimes to deal with it so that they're giving it so much power that then it's kind of per, like twisting the relationship between men and women in the church so i think sometimes you just need to cut it off and repent and be like that is enough and the righteousness of jesus has filled in that sin and then when you've done things that are you know directly you know painful and you need to just confess it <laughs> deal with it we're in the porn now yeah we so, are into it. okay so if <laughs> like, we're into yeah. this i also think i mean we're, we're this is we're it's late in the evening, so we're just. This is actually the now. real. You're this like, is the real world. Oh, you know, I think if yeah. we can't, you know, if we can't talk about that. No, no, I want no, to. I want so, to. Yeah. Part of the problem why we can't have deep, meaningful friendship with the opposite sex is because of a the pornification of our culture yeah. yes. that has only objectified women. Yes. And it's so heinous. It's yes. so. Mm-hmm. Like satanic. Yeah. Yes. And like you said, there is a confession repentance and like this this part of me is going to die yeah like it has to die mm. it has to die yeah it has to die this part of me has to die for me to actually move forward in the way of jesus yeah. and um th- i i think that's the biggest hang-up like i think i would imagine men want to see women differently but they also want their pornography yeah and it's yeah. just like and women too. Yes. I was going to say, that's my point of saying like, it isn't just when I'm talking about feminism and the female body, it isn't meant to pit like women against men. That's like not the way of mm. Jesus. But I think when we're talking specifically about pornography, I would also say that there is also a disproportionate weight of women weren't ever given permission or maybe it's not permission, but it's never been okay to talk about that side mm. of things as well. Like in, even in, I would find that probably diversity of relationships and modeling healthy relationships, there's things that they wouldn't have a tendency to do either. Mm. And that is also something that people do not talk about in the church. And I think I counsel many women and talk very openly about that of like as a single woman and a celibate single woman, there are things that I'm like, no one ever taught me to talk about that. No one ever told me that it was okay to talk about that or to talk about desire or sexual desire or like that whole channeling the Eros and Agape, like that vision Mm. had to come with a lot of painful years and a lot of therapy and a lot of things to just be like open and honest with my life and being like, okay, like let's talk about this. And there has to be that safe spot, like place Mm. within reason to also know yourself as well of like to talk about it and to also not be afraid to talk about it either. I think there's this this level of honesty too, where I think the modeling of healthy friendship, that is the key mm-hmm. and community for that too. So absolutely. And yeah, I think like desire at the end of the day is first a sign that you're alive. Yeah. You know, and life yes. is a gift. Yeah. And I think we need to flip things upside down and be like, Oh my gosh, I have desires. I'm alive. Yeah. And be like, well, that's not a wise way to take that desire. <laughs> Let's reorient it yes. here. Yeah. That's life you know and just like try to have a more positive view rather than i think if you just try to repress yep desire and push it away that's when you're in danger uh, and i think then there's obviously the abuse scandal and me too and i think you know abuse scandals show us that there's a very big difference between being a sexual sinner and being abusive yes yes with one sexuality yeah. and we need to learn to really have strong safeguards for abuse Mm -hmm. in the church yeah 
So I think that's a whole can of worms we need to open up. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. But the other I mean, one, you, yeah. Yeah, there's so much of your background that's in that. There's yeah. so much. Oh, my gosh. Well, that. I think you can't really live in the church today and not have it touch you yes. in some way. Like, yeah. you know, that sadly. whole abuse, sadly. Mm-hmm. And, and I also think, you know, on the feminism point, mm-hmm. Sarah Coakley says that this high concentration on the father and son has generated this like abusive male culture in the church. And when she went to Harvard, you know, a lot of the feminists there had reacted to that abusive culture kind of legitimately. And they were like, you know, we have to call God, she, God is mother. Mm -hmm. Like let's make God Mm -hmm. into like a woman rather than a man. Mm -hmm. So replace the dyad father and son with woman. (laughs) Um, And she said, no, actually to get on my knees Mm -hmm. and pray to God as father is the most feminist thing I can do because the Trinity is a deconstruction of patriarchal power relations. Mm. And I just think, whoa, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Like our God is the one who's holy and totally safe. Mm -hmm. His desires are totally rightly ordered and is totally like a deconstruction of that like abusive male culture mm-hmm. that women have had to suffer with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jess, how do you? <laughs> I don't want to land this plane. Ah! How do you land this plane, Jess? <laughs> you got us up this. Oh, I got. Yep, we're here. We went real. We went real. I love it. That's what I wanted. Um, I think the way I'll just land it is, you know, my hope as as a pastor of this church and for. Our, for the body of Christ is to just be aware of like that one, this is the water we swim in. And then two, this, this is the place that I want to create to have the safest conversations we can Mm. in response to Christ and response to the discipleship that I want to bring us and myself to be more like Christ in. And I think it starts with having really open and honest conversations and we don't know everything and Mm. we need wisdom and we need the spirit of God to guide us you know, in all of those things. And so my hope is that we just moved a little bit more forward a little bit and we can mm-hmm. keep going together. So. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Amen. Jess. <laughs> Thank you, David. Thank yeah. You. And I think to land this whole, Amen, and here we go. <laughs> love it. Keep going. To land this <laughs> love whole it so much. thing, <laughs> to bring the, the, yep, whole, the whole thing, <laughs> the whole thing down, oh not to gosh. burn it down, but to bring it, yeah, down. To bring it yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, just the way you ended it, I think is so perfect mm-hmm. in that I just want to say amen to it. Like the church needs to be a place where we're having these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. How do we yeah. have conversations around um, the sexuality conversation, mm-hmm. the female conversation, the race conversations, um, these different conversations of like around the table open. This conversation here came out of actually the last few years of relationship. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we just decided to do this we today. We just met. It's like we just met and became friends. But we've been yeah. having these conversations. Yeah. And we've been having these conversations as a church for years. Yeah. And in small ways and large ways. And I think we, we, we have to, you know, the way I've seen it done wrong is that people get in a room mm-hmm. and they make a decision and that decision gets like told mm-hmm. as message delivery for the rest of the country. This is yeah. now our stance on blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. And I think yeah. having conversation in the church, I mean, this is the way the early church did the scriptures. Mm-hmm. They would read it and then they would like, they would literally start discussing it, 
they yeah. would they Tom would they, it. That, yeah. yes exactly yeah. and um i think we need need to have a space like this so what we did what we tried to do during this mm-hmm. time was to have was to take bits and pieces of our um lecture mm-hmm. put them in in like sound bites but not sound bites like little sections and then comment on it yeah. mm. so that we keep the conversation going yeah. forward and mm-hmm. so that people would stop asking us if we would release <laughs> the recordings or not um so both of those and and some of it a lot of this honestly was pastoral work yeah, yeah. like i want people to know like we have uh, our resident theologian um mm-hmm. here and the 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 purpose of your residency here is the pastoral stuff mm-hmm. like how do we take mm-hmm. the stuff that yeah lives in this place in Oxford and take it down to the streets of like mm-hmm. a, a, a church in San Francisco mm-hmm. that's working the stuff out pastorally. And yeah. that's yeah. all this has been Yeah, as a pastoral conversation mm-hmm. that we've had with our church. Yeah. And then we're trying to have with the church that wasn't there mm-hmm. around these things. And so we hope mm-hmm. that a little bit, this, a little bit of this has been helpful. Like I said, um, please don't email us. <laughs> That's probably not going to be helpful. You're not going to get a response back. But yeah. dialogue with this in your own communities, yeah. like your community groups, mm-hmm. and yeah. obviously we're around on Sundays and mm-hmm. be a part of the community. There's there's that sort of thing. But we're not trying to pastor through podcasts necessarily. That's yeah. why these mm-hmm. conversations happen in a room, at a place, in a location, in time yeah. and space, mm-hmm. and that we're living with a congregation of people in time and space. Mm-hmm. And then we're trying to get this out to the church that wasn't able to be there. So. Yeah. So this has been a really wonderful time. So David Bennett, thank you for being here. Pleasure. Jess, Pastor Jess, thank you. And this podcast has been produced by Jordan Dean, who's kind of like been living in California for the last few months. A Londoner. A Londoner. Londoner. Living in California for the last few months and just said yes to jumping on this crazy project last minute. So thank you. Thank you. And so um, farewell. We'll see you soon at Reality. Yes. Yes. Long live the podcast.